Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Okay, I want to. We're going to. Um, we're going to be uh, towards the end of Mark chapter six today. Mark chapter six, verse thirty. Uh, it's online on the Youth uh, U Version uh, Bible app. If you if you uh, read scriptures that way, or your traditional scriptures, there's Bibles up behind our technical desk. Uh, if you don't have one, if you're new to faith, or if you're new to checking out what church is or who this Jesus is, we do want to say welcome. We trust that you're encouraged. We trust that something stirs in your heart. Even if you're watching online and you're new to this whole concept and you're desperate. We just pray that God is reaching into you at the moment and speaking into your life uh, in a powerful way as well. So, uh, and if you're here and this is something that you do regularly, you know, my heart and my prayer, as I know for all our team, is that we, we receive things in a new way, that we receive way, things in a way that's refreshing and uh, sparks new possibilities or new ways of thinking and, and, uh, or reminding us of old things that God has said to us in the past as well. So, uh, yeah, Mark chapter 6, we'll get there shortly. Uh, let, me, let me pray this prayer that uh, I read this morning as part of my quietness. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we invite you in this moment to simply come. God, gather us now to be with you as you are with us. Soothe our tiredness, quiet our fretfulness, curb our aimlessness, relieve our compulsiveness. Let us be easy for a moment. Let us be at peace in the stillness with you. Our Lord, may you release us today from the fears and the guilts which can grip us so tightly, from the expectations and opinions which we so tightly grip, that we would be open to receiving what you give, to risking something genuinely new, to learning something refreshingly different. Father, may your love shape our lives. May your word shape our lives. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Did you know that Australia has over 600,000 non-for-profit organisations? Did you know that? Did anyone read the uh, Women Mail Times on uh, Monday, there was an article in there uh, from, I think he's, he's the managing director of uh, an organisation called, uh, it's part of the website, ourcommunity.com.au, that supports and releases and encourages and provides funding for over 600,000 not-for-profit organisations in Australia. And what I could work out, that doesn't include churches. Okay. So imagine that, that's 600,000, 600,000 different ideas 
in our nation that have been brought out of community need and enterprise. 600,000 different ideas that someone's thought, hmm, I wonder if we could do that differently. But that also means that 600,000 different organisations asking for volunteers and finances, isn't it? We're all acutely aware of that, acutely aware of that. I would suspect that most of our mail these days are either statements from banks, if you still get paper statements, bills, or requests for more money. Yeah? 600,000 organisations. In reflecting on the impact of the pandemic, the managing director of ourcommunity.com.au, Dennis Moriarty, he wrote um, in a national uh, paper, so it's through various papers, uh, and he writes this, reflecting on the nature of volunteerism in Australia at the moment. We've volunteered for good causes at an impressive rate and supported an enormous infrastructure of not-for-profit organisations. As recently as 2010, 10, not tent, as recently as 2010, 36% of Australians, rather, more than a third, volunteered with one of the nation's 600,000 community groups. 36% volunteered with one of our non-for-profit organisations. When the pandemic, he gives a whole lot of statistics around that, uh, follows that, and the slow decline even before the pandemic, even before 2020. And then he goes on to say, when the pandemic hit, two out of every three of those volunteers dropped out. Two out of three of those volunteers, out of that 36% of volunteers dropped out. Some of them have come back, but many are gone for good, he says. I mean, that's astonishing, isn't it? That's astonishing. That's, I mean, that's, that's huge in so many ways. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, this is a message about serving. This is a message about asking us to do more. Breathe. Breathe. I'll get to that in a sec. But just, no, no, breathe, breathe, breathe. Here's what I think at the moment as I reflect on this. What I think the pandemic has done hasn't actually affected our volunteer rate as much as revealed the heart of what was happening for us as a nation anyway. It was very easy to say, oh, the pandemic has changed everything. Actually, I think the pandemic has revealed a lot of below-the-surface stuff that was just starting to creep to the top for us as a nation. It was reflecting uh, a lot of the heart and the pandemic revealed our heart and amplified the weariness that many of us were already feeling. Last week we explored uh, what it looked like for Jesus to send his disciples out on a mission, out on his mission and the implication for that uh, for us today. Now remember, Jesus had been in his hometown a couple of weeks ago, hadn't gone so great, and then out of that sense of disappointment, he continued to go from village to village, proclaiming the good news, the kingdom of God is amongst you. And then he says to his disciples, right, two by two, off you go, take nothing with you, proclaim the good news, heal the sick, cast out demons, and they went and did it. And then there was this slight offshoot in the Gospel of Mark that tells the story of John, who had lived faithfully, proclaimed the coming of Jesus, and then because he stood up to uh, 
Herod and his wife and because he declared something that uh, Herod's wife didn't like, namely that uh, they weren't meant to be together, uh, he had his head chopped off for it. Fascinating kind of storytelling that Mark brings. And what he does is actually, after that interlude of um, John and his time in prison, he actually uh, brings us back to this moment where the disciples reconnect with Jesus. Now, before I go there, uh, one of the thoughts that I've had about Jesus sending out two by two, this is a fairly small group of people, right? This is 12 people. Now, I had this weird thought. Now, I don't know how you read scripture, but I had this weird thought I wonder amongst those 12 people that Jesus was about to send out, if he gathered his 12 around them and he said, right, gentlemen, and that's what they were, they were the guys, and that's how we've got it recorded. Maybe he sent out females and and the ladies in the group at that time. But I'm about to send you out in pairs. I suspect in that group of 12 people, there was this thought, please don't send me with him. Please don't send me with him. Please don't send me with him. Oh, you sent me with him. I don't know. I hope that messes with you a little bit next time you're reading that text. You know, because I'm not sure how many of the other 11 wanted to actually walk around the streets with Peter. Or how many wanted to walk around with Matthew, the tax collector, the guy with the money, the guy who was worried about how much they spent. So what we also saw, that's a side note for you, that entertained you for a brief minute, didn't it? Um, We also saw, I guess, that uh, following Jesus, becoming obedient to his call is costly, confronting and challenging. So the narrative picks up again here in uh, Mark chapter 6, sorry, verse 30. Um, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Right, so you could almost go from verse 13 to verse 30. Those two parts are joining together and we're rejoining the story, the action live, if you like. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Some translations say about eight months of salaries. How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. 
He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, we love this story, don't we? This is actually the first of similar stories. uh, And Lockie's going to speak about the second story, which is Mark chapter 8, in a couple of weeks' time. And we love this story because we love the miracle. We've heard messages about the little that we bring, Jesus multiplies. And we get excited about that. We find so much hope and promise in that. Uh, And as I said, we look at this and we often think about it's either about stewardship of our finances or stewardship of our time or stewardship of our gifts. And, you know, regardless of how small the gift that we bring, Jesus multiplies and increases it. All of that is powerful. All of that is true. And none of that can be taken away. And that might even be an important conversation to have in our new normal. Because we all know the impact of volunteers and the challenges that we've felt, the sense of being overwhelmed, the sense of being weary, the pandemic heightening all that. But actually, I want to invite us today to take a step back from that before we get to that miracle story, before we get to that sense of what we offer in small ways and actually check our heart, check our motivation and check our perspective. Check our heart, check our motivation and check out check our perspective what will sustain you what will sustain you from here on in from this moment yeah we can talk about what's happened in the past we can learn some lessons there's no doubt about that but what will sustain us and what perspective we will now carry from this moment given all the information that we have over the last 12 to 18 months what perspective will we carry Because it's not up to anybody else. The sense of hope, the sense of promise, the promise of a kingdom that is both now and not yet is not up to anybody else. It's up to those who seriously want to take the call of Jesus. It's not up to our government. It's not up to 600,000 non-profit organisations. It's not up to the people who don't even honour scripture or believe in scripture or want to follow God. This is going to be revealed by the Holy Spirit. He's going to bring new people into this kingdom. And a large part of that will depend on the perspective that we carry. See, it's not your skills, your knowledge, your history that reveals your capacity. It's your character. It's not your skills, your knowledge, or your history that reveals your capacity. It's your character. So again, I want to invite us to consider if we're building lives for success according to what we can see, touch, have, build for ourselves, or if we're building lives of significance out of relationship with God revealed through Jesus. See, Jesus, so here's a few points for us. Jesus understands rhythm. Jesus understands there are times where you're just flat out working. But he also understands the seasons of rest. Work six days, done that since the beginning of time. Work six days, creation order, rest on the seventh. He understands the basic needs of what it is to be sustained and nurture our hearts, mind, body and spirit. Come away with me and let me give you rest. 
There's work to be done, yes, but come away with me and let me give you rest. In a day and age where burnout and uh, weariness is prevalent and high on the agenda um, and exhaustion is a significant topics, we need a new mindset. We need a new understanding of what it is to be accepted and known and to live out of relationship rather than striving for a relationship in the midst of our business. So the issue is not how much we do in our lives. It's what we fill our lives with. That make, and often what we fill our lives with make us too busy for time of reflection, solitude and examination of the heart. Examining our own motives. Examining the things that are, are important that God is speaking to us about. We're too busy to deal with it. Haven't got time to deal with that right now. Got so many things on, so many expectations, so many projects I have to get done. And the whisper of the Spirit gets crowded out. See, we can only serve out of relationship with him. The first thing that Jesus says, the disciples come back um, and they tell him all that they had done and taught. Other gospels say, man, like they almost build up the excitement of it. Mark just kind of, you know, almost cuts the excitement off. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning because of what you did, but don't, don't get wrapped up in the way that you've done it. Celebrate instead that your names are written in the book of life. Celebrate instead the relationship that you have with me. Celebrate instead what you can do out of relationship with me. The Gospel of John says, uh, chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So even in that, Jesus understands and recognises we are called to be fruitful people. We are called to be productive people. But there's times in that where that needs to stop for a season of preparation for greater fruit. And often not the fruit that we examine, like I say, the building of success, what we can see and touch and have, but a kingdom-minded fruit-bearing, a kingdom life. Jesus goes on in that, in John chapter 15, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is an invitation, I think, both personal and communion. The solitude of God, the resting, the sleeping, scripture, prayer, worship, Spending time away from devices, spending time without planning, spending time without notebooks, just going, spending time without necessarily having to solve everything or wondering what we're going to do, but just go and be with God. That's some of the biggest challenges in conversations and some of the biggest challenges that I've had as I talk to my mentor and as conversations that I have with people on an ongoing basis, finding that time and space just to stop 
and breathe. To watch the birds fly through the air, to watch the wind, the breeze, to look at the sun, to feel the warmth of the sun, to just to be. The single most difficult question for people to answer, where is God in this for you? The single most difficult um, question is where is God in this? Or when people are busy and overwhelmed and we sit down together and we say, so how's your relationship with God going? The first thing that I often hear is that people start to defend themselves. And I know because I've done it. We're not reading the Bible as much as we should be. We're not praying as much as we should be. According to whom? They're great things, but we measure ourselves against one another. We need to serve out of relationship with the Father. People will seek out People will seek out those who are different and those who operate in a different way. Jesus says to his disciples, come away. He puts them in a boat. <laughs> you know, the amount of time they spend in a boat. Do you think they were a bit nervous about getting in a boat every now and then? I would have been. Um, and G- like, so does Jesus forget what he asks his disciples to do? Come with me and I'll give you rest. Let's get away together. Let's be refreshed together. And the first thing that Jesus does when the boat gets to wherever it does, he goes and sees the crowd and he has what on them? Compassion on them. And there's going to be moments where we feel like we need that rest, where we feel like we need to draw away. And actually God is inviting us to have compassion on one another. The tricky part's discerning that, <laughs> isn't it? But it's the compassion that motivates the heart of Jesus. It's the compassion that actually invited other people, the crowd. They'd just been fed. Doesn't mean they'd followed him yet, incidentally. Jesus' model of ministry is follow, feed people and then let them decide what they do with it. And the crowd is still wanting more and Jesus has compassion on them. Sometimes, um, sorry, that's a new thought. Sometimes when we have rest or when we think we're having a rest or going through a motion of rest, there are interruptions. Sometimes when we talk about plans or things that we'd like to do or things that we believe God is calling us into even, there are interruptions along the way. Interruptions that people seek us out because they see us offering a different perspective because they see and understand the heart of compassion and they want to experience and encounter that. When I am most frustrated, when I am hardest on myself, when I am most discouraged are the moments when I'm not spending time with Jesus. I don't know what your low points are. I don't know what your indicators are. You need to work that out a little bit. There's people around who can help you and talk to you about that. Life groups, mentors, people that you uh, respect and honour as faithful people who have worked some of this out and navigated some of these things out. 
And there's different seasons. There's young family seasons. There's seasons. I spoke to someone the other day, Simon. I go into my, an older person, I go into my seat, I go to my chair, and I start praying and I wake up. <laughs> there's seasons in it all. It's, again, like I said last week, it's not about beating us up. This is about just recognizing some things. Trying to encourage us to understand what's happening here and some of the things that Jesus invites us into. See, I, I think as much as we think, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I think you think, that was a terrible sentence, wasn't it? Uh, rewind, edit, delete, thanks, as we go live. Um, when you think you are resting, God actually might be asking you to respond. Now imagine again, and maybe it's an overactive sense of imagination, the disciples, Jesus said, hey, that's fantastic, you've done a lot of work, it's been hectic, it's been busy, come with me and rest. And then he says to the disciples, all right, you feed them. Hey, wait, what? I'm resting. You are until Jesus asks you to do something else. Yeah? And then they go, and then I love, I love this verse. They, uh, in verse 38, when he says, you give them something to eat, and their first thought is what? How much it'll cost. It's not a new thing when we have this conversation. What? That would take half a year's wages. You want us to spend that much? Are we limited by what we don't have or what we think it will cost us? Are we limited by what we think we don't have? See, what, what fascinates me about that question even is the disciples still have not worked out their capacity. They've just been, they've just come back to Jesus and said, Jesus, that was amazing. We healed people. People repented. People responded to your message and Jesus says, you feed them. What? We haven't got that much money. And the sadness about the human condition is that we're either miserable because of what we don't have or we forget what God has already done through us just last week. And it seems to be that it doesn't matter whether we're tired or whether we've been successful, we're still limited in our vision of response even when Jesus says, you've got it. All the other motivation is, this is the other thought that I had as I read this text, despite returning enthused, despite returning to Jesus inspired, despite returning to Jesus blown away by what they had done and what they had seen, they couldn't see the next opportunity they were invited to. Hey, guys, that's great. You have uh, proclaimed the good news. You've healed people. You've set captives free. You've cast out demons. Now, feed the crowd. Hey, wait, 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 what, what, what? We just preached on a platform, Jesus. We just healed out, we just healed thousands, hundreds of people, Jesus. We just cast out evil spirits and you told us to do all this and now you want us to do what? You want us to wait on tables? 
Yep. Exactly right. See, sometimes we get limited by how great we think we are (laughs) and not by the one who calls us into something new. Maybe they thought they were still resting. But our rest is preparation for what Jesus calls us into next. See, Jesus sees what disciples are yet to discover. And the question will come up again next week. They are, we are more capable, the disciples are more capable, and we are more capable when we trust in Jesus, more than when we are limited by our own strength or by our own success or by what we have or haven't done in the past or what we do or don't have now. Jesus already knows. When he invites us into something, he'll provide the resources for us. And he invites us, and I think we're invited again, to consider if we are living for success or significance out of who we are in God. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says in chapter 1, verse 27, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and our redemption. Maybe we need to get a bit silly again, a bit foolish. Because, I don't know, but maybe, maybe like the disciples, we hold on a lot of things, fearful of how other people will see us, fearful of what it will mean if, if I have to let go of that. Will I trust Jesus enough if I have to let go of that? Will I trust Jesus enough if he calls me into rest? Will I trust Jesus enough if he calls me out of rest? Will I trust Jesus enough through the wins and the things that I've accomplished in my past to know that he will sustain me in the things that he calls me to in the future? Well, I know that God has got this. When our significance is in relationship with Jesus, we are obedient in healing, in proclamation, or in providing a meal. When Matthew writes about some of these stories and reflections, um, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42-40-10, um, we're not playing some kids game, 40-40-10. Is that still a game? I don't know. But anyway. uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 42 is what I'm getting to. Even when you give a cup of cold water, you're reflecting something of the kingdom. You're reflecting something of life. Even when you give a cup of cold water. I guess it just depends on whether we're open to what God might be calling us into at that moment, whether our hearts are filled with compassion. When, we, when our significance is in relationship with Jesus, we keep our heart in check, we check our motivation, and we gain a perspective that goes beyond ourselves or a single moment, but presses into the heart and the promises of a kingdom being revealed through Jesus.
And all that leads to an invitation, will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you walk with me? Will you rest with me? Will you serve with me? Every moment is an invitation to continue to follow Jesus. Father, we want to come to you in this moment. We want to trust you more and more. We recognise that we get caught up in being significant, uh, successful, sorry. We get caught up in being successful rather than being significant out of relationship with you. Rather than having our lives directed by you, we've become overwhelmed by the challenges, the struggles, the weariness. And Father, we know that there are people sitting in this room who are watching online who are feeling overly weary, who have just... worn out. Father, we pray that you would minister deeply and richly into hearts and minds of those who are feeling worn out today. That they would know your compassion in this time, in this moment. Father, we know there's people who are, who are wondering what the next season holds. We know that there's people who are holding on to the last season, who are wanting more of what someone else has or feeling like we're not measuring up. God, may we just draw away with you and know who we are in you so that our lives might reflect your heart, so that our lives might know your grace and your goodness. So that we would trust you with the little that we have or that we would trust you with the lot that we have that we would be sustained in relationship with you, that we would serve out of relationship with you, that we'd be obedient out of relationship with you. Holy Spirit, come.